Thanks, Dave. I'd better do my best this morning, hadn't I? Very kind of you. Just move this forward a little bit so I'm not quite as dazzled by the lights up there. Um, are dad jokes allowed in this church? All right, I've got to tell, tell this one. When we had communion just then, the Pharisees and the Sadducees got to mention. don't know whether you noticed that. Have you ever wondered why the Sadducees were called, called Sadducees? Oh, Sid. Hey, I'm a dad. Let me just fill that out a bit for you, even though Sid has stolen my thunder. Um, the Pharisees... The, the, the two main religious parties in the, in the uh, Jewish world back in the day were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, like us, they believe in the resurrection of the dead. Right? We believe that when Jesus returns, there'll be the resurrection of the dead, the heaven will get more populated and it'll all be really cool. But the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They believe when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. No, no more. Well, that's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't... You can pray for me later. They'll probably pray for me now, actually. <laughs> now, don't, don't be disturbed that I've got this many notes. I've got six pages of notes. I, I normally preach off dot points, but um, I kind of thought I needed a bit more detail today. So, or I wanted to make sure that I said things, so here we go. Um, my, uh, my siblings and I were blessed or are blessed because our parents are Christians. My parents were Christians before they married and uh, I was born 10 months after they got married. Um, And it was always mum and dad's intention to bring us up to know Jesus. So as a consequence uh, of their prayers, um, my brother and my sister and I, we all became Christians before we were 10 Um, and that was all because of my parents. And I just want to talk a little bit about them first because it'll make sense when I get to the end, okay, if you can bear with me there. So I, um, as some of you would know, I became or I was the associate pastor out at High Street Church in Queanbeyan for a number of years, and this really pleased my dad. He was so pleased that one of his kids was going into the ministry. I became a professional Christian instead of an amateur Christian, apparently. (laughs) And, um, yeah, my, my dad has always been a bit of a forward planner. He, he thinks of the future, he makes plans for the future, and I probably inherited that of him to a certain degree. And one day we were over there visiting my parents, they live in Moss Vale, and dad said to me, I'd like you to conduct mums and my funerals when we pass away. And, you know, what son can refuse his father when he makes a request like that? So I agreed to it. And then Dad said to me, um, when you conduct our funerals, I don't really want you to talk about us. I want you to talk about Jesus because I want our funerals to be an opportunity for people to come and know Jesus. See, my dad's an evangelist. He can't help himself. I'm, I'm going to one-up you on this one, David. But My, my dad's 88 um, and he moved into an aged care residence just before Christmas last year. And... Um, it was his decision. We didn't say to him, you have to go, Dad, but he, he made the decision. And uh, he was excited to go into aged care because he said, there's all those people in there that don't know Jesus that I can share Jesus with. And I know he shares Jesus at every opportunity in that place. Um, and he's 88, so the fire still hasn't gone out. You see, when you and I were born again, when we had that miracle in our lives where the Holy Spirit touched us and called us to, to him, we were given a mantle, we were given a mission and that was to make the name of Jesus known. Now how that looks in everybody's life is going to be different because we're all different people. We all have different skills and abilities and God has made each one of us unique because he has a particular plan and purpose for each one of us. So he has equipped you, even in your frailty, even in, you might say, your sinfulness, he has equipped you to do what he has called you to do. And the bits that you might not think that you don't, that you don't have, the Holy Spirit will bring those when the time comes. Okay? We need to remember that, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so much for my notes, but 
Anyhow, we'll get there. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was kind of a little bit... When, when Dad said that to me about talking about Jesus and not about he or mum, I, I was kind of not entirely happy with that, you know, because having conducted a few funerals, I've learnt that funerals are for the people left behind, not the people that are gone. The people that have passed away, they don't care. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully they are in a better place. They know Jesus, so they've gone to heaven. But, you know, we can't do anything about that. And so that was kind of just a little bit of a question mark in my mind. And in 2015, my mum, she passed away. And um, so uh, <laughs> Dad says to me, don't forget you said you conduct <laughs> the funeral. And uh, th there was a bit of um, mercy in that situation, you might say, because by that point in time, my parents were attending um, an Anglican church and the funeral was going to be conducted in um, an Anglican church. And the Anglicans won't let you, if you're not an Anglican minister, run a whole service in their church. So I had the choice of running the service and the priest or the minister would speak or the minister would run the service and I would speak and I chose plan B because yeah, that was easier, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Anyhow, I'd been over to Moss Vale to see Dad and my sister and my brother to work out what we were going to do with Mum's funeral and um, Dad reminded me of this request and... I was driving home and I was talking to God about it because I wasn't <laughs> entirely at ease about it. And um, God spoke to me. He said, hey, son, when God talks to me, he often says son to me. That's just, I guess, that relationship thing. But um, he said, I will get my glory out of the testimony of your mother's life. Stop and think about that for a moment. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. You mightn't think it's that wonderful. I mean, as a kid, I used to think that my testimony was pretty boring, that nobody would really ever want to hear because I was brought up in a Christian family. I'd always been a, a good boy until my later teens, but that's another story. And who'd want to hear about that? The Christian parents. I hadn't had any dramas in my life yet. I'd had a pretty good life, but... That was the testimony that God had been gracious to me and he'd given me Christian parents and he'd given me that life. And so, you know, there's a passage in Revelation. It's in Revelation chapter 12. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses, 10 and 11. And it says, Then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, Salvation and power are established. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah the accuser of our brothers and sisters thrown out, who has accused them day and night before God. They defeated him through the blood of the Lamb. And we've just taken communion where we celebrated the blood of the Lamb. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus' blood was the perfect sacrifice. So we no longer sacrifice animals in church. It was done on the cross Thank you, Jesus. And the bold word of their witness, they weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. Now, in other, in other uh, versions of the Bible, it substitutes the word witness for testimony. So I had this thought running through my mind, the power of their testimony. You know, when we go to share our faith, we often want to use passages out of the Bible. Oh, the Bible says this. The Bible says that, but you know what? Unless you're somebody with a church background at least or somebody with a Christian, the Bible has no authority in your life. And when we share, we want to share from a position of authority. See, when we became Christians, we received authority from on high. The Bible tells us that Jesus lives within us. We have the Prince of Heaven living in us. We have the Holy Spirit who's the comforter in us. When we start talking about God, we are speaking on God's behalf. Stop and think about that for a moment. You know, when, when you share your faith, 
When you lead a meeting, whatever it might be, when you speak in church, when you lead praise and worship, when you bring the communion message, when you take the kids out for Sunday school, you're speaking on God's behalf and his anointing is on you to do that. In my old church I had a, one of those you know, headpiece microphones I could gesture with both hands. I think I may be part Italian but... Oh, I'll remember that next time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, all right, we'll do that. Then, that way I can use two hands. Uh, I, a period of my life I worked for an office equipment company and they had an office over in Griffith. And I used to go and work over there. And I learnt two... One of the very important things I learnt was that I had to gesture a lot when I was speaking to the locals. It helped enormously and I kind of feel restricted. <laughs> but anyhow... So, you know, that, when I had those thoughts and when you know, God spoke to me and I th- remembered that passage and I thought, I'm going to share mum's testimony and I'm going to be able to point people to God because of what God did in her life because there's power in our testimony. Now, let me just draw an illustration. This might seem an odd illustration, but I, I was lying in bed early this morning <laughs> thinking about this. I, uh, for most of this year, I, I've worked as a relief chaplain in an aged care facility, uh, finished up last month, but I'll never forget, there was this carer in there, young bloke, probably in his late 20s, um, he didn't have grey hair anyhow, so there, you don't have grey hair, you're young, um, or younger than me anyhow, and uh, you know, tats and all that sort of stuff, and he came, comes up to me one Thursday, Thursdays were the day that I conducted the chapel service, and he says, hey, Father. He always called me Father. I think I've been called Father more than Pastor, but that's another story. And he says, my back, and he used a bit more colourful language than this, is really, really hurting. He said, I'd really appreciate it if you could pray for me sometime. Now, he couldn't hang around for me to pray for him, so I said to him, sure, we'll pray for you in the chapel service this morning. So it was always my habit that at the end of the chapel service I'd pray for various needs. And so he came to the end of the service, I said, yeah, now we're going to pray for the facility, we're going to pray, pray for, for Jill, who's the manager, around the place, and we're going to pray for, for Andrew. It was, this guy's name was Andrew. I said, we're going to pray for his back. He's told me his back is hurting a lot. So, you know, we closed our eyes and, I, and we, I prayed and I asked God to touch his back. And, uh, and he happened to be walking past at that time. I didn't know that at the time, but he told me later. And we pray, anyhow, we prayed for him. They wrapped the meeting up and took the people back that I had to take back. And I'm walking down the corridor and he says, he says, Hey, Father, hey, Father, I heard you pray for me and my back is a lot better. Thank you. Now, if, if I stood up here right now, if I hadn't told you that story, if I stood up here right now, and I said, if there's anybody here who would like prayer for healing, pl- please come down, I'll, I'll pray for you. Now, you guys don't know me very well. You don't know what I've done and who I am. And you probably think, who is that bloke? He's having himself on. And if I was lucky, you know, maybe somebody would come out. But if I had Andrew here in the meeting with me and said, oh, look, I've got Andrew here, he's a friend of mine. I just want you to share his testimony with you. And I hand him the microphone. And he told you that story. All of a sudden my offer to pray for you for healing would have more credibility, wouldn't it? You see, that's the power of testimony. There's nothing like a third-party referral if ever you're in sales. Most powerful tool going. Testimony is personal experience and it is authentic. Okay? And when somebody tells you that something has happened to them, that God has done something in their lives, it's a lot harder to, to deny that than it is to deny what's written in the Bible. Yes, I've got that the right way around. (laughs) So, when I was speaking at my mum's funeral, I was able to share a few things. And and I said, mum and dad aren't perfect. You don't say that kind of thing at funerals, do you? But I I had to be up front. But I said, I learnt three things from my parents, you know, from my mum and pretty much from my parents. And... The first thing that I learned was that they loved God very much, that he was number one in their lives. He is most important 
consideration in their lives. Everything that they did, they wanted God's input. They sought his face. The next thing I learnt from them was that they loved each other very much. It was always obvious that my parents loved each other. Um, And then the third thing that I learnt was that God loved me and my siblings, of course, very, very much. That's three powerful things in itself. And those three things, the testimony of my parents' life to me, touched me powerfully. You know, statistics indicate that the average Christian has had 17 God experiences before they're born again. 17. So we sometimes get disappointed when we share our story, when we share our testimony and people don't get born again. Hey, you're probably just one of those 17, right? So every time you share your faith, though that person may not get born again, you give them that extra bump along the road till finally somebody's going to be their number 17 and gets them over the edge. Now, we can share our testimony in all sorts of different ways. You don't have to go up and formally share it. It's in how you live your life, how you relate to others, how you treat others, what's obvious in your life. So mum and dad, with all that, set a pretty high goal for Betty and I with our kids. And, and we have tried to emulate that, and Betty's parents were much the same because... Betty's parents were both Christians as well. And God was very gracious to us and all our children got born again at an early early age. Thanks be to God, you know. Um, it's, it's the grace of God that did that, not how good we were. I, I can promise you that much. But from my parents' life, I learnt a few things. And the first one is that human life is sacred to God. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, if you read verse 7, we see... Then God formed a man from the dust of the earth. And if the two pieces of paper will come unstuck. From the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now if we study the creation account in Genesis and in Genesis it's actually told twice so you get a slightly different perspective each time but the Bible records that God spoke this earth and all the plants into being by the power of his word. Now let me tell you that is power. I've tried a lot of times I cannot speak anything into being and I haven't met anybody who can. Usually it's a lot of hard work. (laughs) to bring something into being. But God is so powerful that he spoke this earth, this universe and everything in it into being by the power of his word. Scientists tell us that the universe is still expanding. So the creative power of God is still in action. Right? Now, one of the signs of revival is creativity. You remember that historical period they called the Dark Ages? The church was pretty dark. They had the Bible chained to the pulpit and all sorts of things like that. And there was nothing new happening. There was very little in the way of inventions or societal progress. But as revival happened, so so creativity burst forth, not necessarily confined to church circles, but it burst forth and new things started to happen. Inventions were made. And so we see the ongoing witness of God's creative power. See, God is creative, the devil is destructive. When uh, Betty and I were first married, the pastor of our church, he had this saying, he'd said, God's good, the devil's bad, Jesus won and I'm glad. Easy to remember, isn't it? From a long way back. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when you think of that saying, it's pretty easy to work out where everything's from, isn't it? Good is from God. Bad is from 
elsewhere. Don't like to give him too much mileage. So the next thing that God tells us is that he created the animals, he took them out of the earth, he made, they were handmade. But mankind was the only one who he breathed life into. So that means that we're special because God breathed life into us. I mean, you can go into all sorts of things. You know, there's a Greek word, pneuma, which means, you know, we get Holy Spirit from. We'll, we won't go down that little pathway. But it says to me that human life is sacred to God. I mean, there's a whole sermon in that, and I'm not going to try and probably a whole few sermons in that, and I'm not going to try to do that this morning. But human life is sacred to God. The next thing that I learnt was that marriage is sacred to God. And uh, Genesis chapter 2 again, verse 24, it says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You see, God declared it. When God declares something, it means it's special to him. It's sacred. And the third thing that I learnt was that sex, the physical act of marriage, is sacred to God. And we can see that in that verse that I just read. Now, what does sacred mean? It's all very well for me to use these spiritual sounding words, but if we don't know what they mean, it means nothing. Well, in the Christian context, which is how we're talking about it today, it means set aside for a special purpose or for God. So that means that these three things, amongst other things, are set aside for God. So if these things are sacred to God, if they're set aside for a special purpose by God, we shouldn't muck around with them. We should give them the respect that they are due. You know, it was... um, I wasn't going to go here, but, you know, it, it, it was the church that taught society that human life was sacred. In Roman times, in the, in the time of Paul, it was not uncommon for babies to be left outside. You know, if they wanted a, a boy and they got a girl, they'd leave it outside. If they had a slight defect, they'd leave it on the rubbish heap. It was the Christians that went out and rescued those babies that, in effect, started orphanages and there's all those stories, but we know that human life is sacred to God. If human life wasn't sacred to God, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. And we've just celebrated communion to remind us of that fact. I love it when we celebrate in communion, you know, because it takes us right back to the bedrock, to the basis of our salvation. It reminds me that I did nothing to save myself. The Bible tells me that my righteousness is as filthy rags, Right? So nothing I can do can save me. So God sent Jesus to save me and you. Nothing we can do. And we need to be reminded of that because it stops us from getting cocky <laughs> and prideful. So around the time that I was born, which doesn't feel like that long ago, but my kids like to tell me it was a fair while ago. Dad, they say, Dad, you're old. You've got grey hair. Maybe I should disinherit them. What do you reckon? (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm not going to go there. But anyhow, around the time that I was born, those three concepts were were widely supported in our society. Uh, If they weren't, they were at least given lip service. And um, this has all changed, hasn't it? Because we've seen the, the, in effect, Society accepts sexual relationships outside of marriage. It accepts uh, uh, same-sex marriage. And we're even now legalising euthanasia, for heaven's sake. Now, when I was working as a chaplain, so I worked as a chaplain full-time for a couple of years, a little while ago. I remember going up, I was in a, the place I was working was three storeys. I went up to the top storey. And all the residents used to tell me that they were up there because it was closer to heaven. And um, the nurses are talking about euthanasia. What a place to talk about euthanasia. And, and they said to me, what did I think? Well, you said, I said to them, you know I can't possibly agree with that. But, you know, our society has a, a terrible burden in that uh, area because we can extend human life way beyond where it would naturally go. 
And that's uh, something that I'm still figuring out. So I'm not going to give you a... It's something that we all need to think about, we all need to pray about, and we all need to ask God for wisdom in that context. Now, you and I, we can lobby against those things that we... So we can try and change the country back politically to, um, to the way we think it should be. But you know what? Uh, and this will probably offend some people, and I'm sorry, it's, I don't intend to offend, but I... My intention is to bring light. I think you're wasting your time. I think if you're trying to get the country to repeal the same-sex marriage, get the country to repeal the euthanasia laws, you're just wasting your time. You see, those laws aren't the problem. They're a symptom of the problem. The problem is people's hearts. What needs to be changed is people's hearts. People need to be born again. The first service that Betty and I attended here when we first came here in January, I heard Dave speak and he was talking about inclusiveness and he explained how the difference between the world's inclusiveness and God's inclusiveness was this. The world says, come as you are, you don't have to change, we'll love you the way you are. God says, come as you are and I will change you. Amen? I will change you. See, Change, God's going to change us. One of the words that's used to describe us in um, the New Testament is saints. Um, And that means set aside by God for a special purpose. Um, That means we're special to God. I had the great privilege a few years ago, Betty and I were over in the US on holidays, we're in San Francisco and we happened to attend the same church over two Sundays. And on the first Sunday there's this older couple there, yeah, they were older than us, at least 15 years older, okay. <laughs> and uh, they took us under their wing and showed us a bit of um, San Francisco. He was a former um, sergeant of detectives and boy did he know how to handle a car. Um, Anyhow, the next Sunday we arrived at church and kept walking in from the car park and the pastor happens to be there too and he says, oh, he greeted us because he'd met us the previous Sunday and he said, oh, I understand you're a pastor in Australia and I said, yes, I am. And I said, I'm the associate pastor at a church in Queenby and he said, would you like to bring a word of greeting and, 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 uh, and say a prayer in church? I said, I'd love to. So, uh, you know, the service... Uh, commenced and he called me up and I got to do something that I dreamed of. I said, I bring you greetings from the saints in Queanbeyan, just like Paul's letters. How cool was that? It's the grace of God just gave me that opportunity, but I I just had to share that with you. So, but we, you know, I'm talking about testimony a bit and the reason for that is today we live in a golden opportunity Did you know that today that there are people out there who know nothing about God? In our society, they have never attended scripture, unlike my generation. We all did scripture. If you didn't go do scripture when I was a kid in school, you were odd. You were strange. Even the unsaved kids knew that you were strange if you didn't come to scripture. And the chances were that you probably got sent to Sunday school by your non-believing parents. You know, the number of kids that used to be in Sunday school when I was a kid whose parents didn't come to church was quite something. But you see, nowadays, because we live in such a humanistic society, most, sorry, I, I don't have any ideas, statistics. I know a lot of kids don't do scripture. They've never been to Sunday school. They've never been to church because... Most of the funerals these days aren't conducted in churches. I, I, I've conducted a fair few funerals and only two of them have been conducted in churches. I've conducted a number of marriages and only one of them was conducted in a church. So people aren't going into the churches anymore, right? Um, now, of course, because I was doing those services as a Christian, they did hear about, a bit about the good news but it wasn't the same thing. So people out there, they're totally ignorant of God and who he is. 
So what I have discovered is that these days, people, you're much more likely to have a reasonable conversation with people about God because they have less baggage about God. You see, the downside of all those people attending scripture and being sent to Sunday school by their parents is that they have baggage when it comes to God. But if you haven't been exposed to that, you don't have any baggage, you just have ignorance. And you can have all sorts of interesting conversations with people. But, you know, the biggest barrier to us sharing our faith is us. We're scared. Have you noticed that? I know I am. my, my dad is the evangelist in our family. I inherited a lot of my dad's traits, but that did not rub off. I got a big miss out on that. So for me to share my faith, it does not come as easily as my father. For my father, it's just his bread and butter. But um, for me, yeah, yeah, it's a lot harder work. But I, I'm pretty sure you're all familiar with the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28. Well, it's in the... Bible, I think, three times total it's mentioned, but I'm using the one out of Matthew 28. And verses 16 to 20, it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So this is after Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, and went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them Sorry, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now the next slide. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, there's a really important thing to note out of the Great Commission. It says, go into all the world and preach the good news. You got that bit down. And then it says, make disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but when I examine that, I notice that there's a bit missing. The bit in the middle, that we'd put in the middle, and, you know, we would probably put, and lead people to Jesus or see them saved. But you know what? The Bible doesn't put that in there. Jesus didn't say it because Jesus saves. You and I can't save anybody to save ourselves. Jesus saves. So the hard bit has been done by our Heavenly Father. It's been done by Jesus because Jesus saves. Our job is to share the good news in whatever way, shape or form God has called us to do and our job is to disciple them after they're born again to help them grow to become mature Christians. I did a a pastor's intensive course a number of years ago I'll never forget, there's a whiteboard up the front. You know how there's always a whiteboard in these things. And the guy that was doing it, John Uliano, I think it was, he draws this white lo- this line from one side to the other. In the middle, he puts a mark and he puts a zero there. And on the left-hand end, he puts a minus 10. And at the other end, he puts a plus 10. And then he breaks it all up, you know, minus 1, minus 2, 4, 5, 6, all that sort of stuff. And uh, he says, you know, when you look at that thing and you think about Christians and seeing people born again, you're probably putting people at the plus 10 for the born again state. He said, that's not really correct. He said, when people don't know Jesus, they're somewhere between minus 1 and minus 10 on this scale. Okay. And when people, the, the zero is the born again point. And then the plus scale is them being discipled till we get to the 10 where they, are dis- where they are mature Christians discipling others. So we see the Great Commission illustrated in that illustration because the preaching the good news is you know, for the people that are between minus 1 and minus 10 and the discipling bit is for the people that are between 0 and 10. But we don't have to save people. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I um, mentally acknowledged that for many years. But when somebody shared it, it kind of like it went from my head to my heart, you know. And I realised that people being born again wasn't my responsibility. Wow, what a load off. How good Jesus saves. We know that. Why do we struggle with it? 
Jesus, Jesus saved you, he saved me. It, it was the grace of God that brought us into his kingdom. You know, God sent Jesus, his only begotten son. Begotten means only, so it's like only, only son, just for emphasis. How blessed are we? I'm getting there. So Jesus, he clearly commanded us to share the good news. And I want to say to you that I think the good news is more our testimony than it is the Bible. Let me illustrate that to you. Who's read the Bible? Come on, we should have all hands up here. Yeah. Uh, and you've read about the Apostle Paul. You've read the accounts of his ministry. Now, most of the time, the, the accounts that they have that record Paul evangelising, he was evangelising to the Jews. And so he quoted a lot of scripture because, like I said earlier, the scripture, their, their Bible, what we would now call the Old Testament, had authority in their lives. It, to, to the Jew, that was central. Even if you're a backslidden Jew, you understood that that was central. But when we read the account of Paul witnessing to the Gentiles in Athens in Acts 17. He doesn't quote any scripture at all. Now this is the Paul in Philippians that tells us that all scripture is profitable to us. All scripture. So we take that as being from the start of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Even the genealogies are profitable. I know they can be hard work and pretty dry, but there is a point to so this is the Paul that said that. He, and he doesn't, he's sharing his faith and he doesn't use scripture. I mean, fair dinkum, the man needs prayer and probably forgiveness and he probably should do purgatory. No, not really. See, Paul knew his audience. He knew that quoting scripture to those Gentiles would have no authority in their lives. He shared his testimony. He shared the goodness of God and what God had done and that's what had authority. See, we need to reconsider our ideas of how to share our faith. Man, have we got some... The church has got baggage when it comes to sharing faith. We need to get rid of the baggage and we need to ask God to show us the best ways that we can share our faith. We really do. Because when we ask God, he'll give us what works. See, churches... You know, the way that we share our faith, the traditional way, it was a good idea. But good ideas have an expiry date. We need the next good idea. We need to ask God for that. Now, last time I spoke, I talked about courage. Man, we need some courage. We need to stop being wusses hiding in our church and we need to share the good news. Now, I'm not saying to you go out and stand on street corners, but we need to go out there and be authentic we need to go out there and live the life that Christ has called us to live and he will bring the situation about. And my dad, um, he, he um, uh, in the latter years of his working life, he went into insurance. This is before he joined the Presbyterian Church and did the home missionary thing. And he was working that five days a week. And, uh, you know, he was out meeting people and um, the trouble was he was evangelising at the same time. He couldn't help himself. And he was leading people to Jesus, selling them insurance. So they, they got the, the double bonus, they got an insurance policy plus salvation. No, Dad wasn't quite like that. But, and God was so gracious to him because God started to talk to him about, hey, you need to go out and do stuff for me and not sell insurance. So Dad started to reduce his hours for the days that he was selling insurance. You know, he went four days a week and then one day a week for the church, then went to three days a week. Insurance, two days a week for the church. And I think finally it ended up two days a week for insurance and three days a week for, in, for the church. Now the problem was his income kept on going up. So God gave him success and God brought him across the paths of people. He found himself in situations where he could share his faith. 
and be a part of that wonderful miracle of salvation. You know, being born again is a miracle because it requires the power of God. Okay? None of us got born again until the Holy Spirit put his finger on our heart and said, hey, son, daughter, now it's time. I can still, I was born again when I was 10, which wasn't very that long ago, at least I don't like to think it is. And, and I still remember it to this day, it was 1968. It was in the school holidays, it was in the Methodist church hall, because we went to the Methodist church when I was a boy, at a, a, a school holiday program being run by the Salva, Salvation Army. So I was kind of, you know, uh, ecumenical in my salvation, you might say. And I don't really remember a great deal of what we did in that program, but I still remember this bloke speaking and he gave a call for people to be born again. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to go up to front and accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. I just knew it. And see, that was the miracle. That was the Holy Spirit calling me. When you got born again, you may or may not remember it. I, I don't know. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you don't remember or anything like that, but I, I do. It was just so vivid still in my mind. The Holy Spirit, he gave you saving faith and you got born again. It's a miracle. You couldn't have got born again without that. So we need to have courage. I'm going to skip the next slide, Carl. <laughs> um, the Bible tells us a number of times that we need to have courage. That I spoke out of Joshua chapter 1 last time and in that passage three times uh, God tells Joshua to have courage and there's a fourth time when the other leaders of the Jewish tribes tell Joshua to have courage. <laughs> so courage is a decision, courage is a choice. You and I need to have courage. We need to decide to have courage. You know, when, when we got born again, uh, one of the promises that Jesus made us was that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in us, that he would send us a comforter. But as we saw in Acts, the next bit, if you like, was being baptised in the Holy Spirit. And God didn't give us that for our glory. He didn't even really give it to us so he could speak in tongues and feel spiritual. He basically gave it to us to empower us, to fill us with power. Now the next slide, Carl, which is... No, not that one. Next one, sorry. That's it. I've, somewhere at home I've got a picture of my oldest daughter when she was about 20 months, I'm guessing, with my dad. And my dad is bending over like this and my daughter's counting nails into his hand because my dad had come over to help us put up a new side fence. And that's kind of a reflection of it. I was really annoyed. I just couldn't find this photo. And, uh, you know... My daughter thought she was helping my grandfather. She was probably slowing, she was slowing him down. And he probably thinks he's helping his grandfather too, but I'm going to suggest to you he's slowing his grandfather down. But, you know, that illustrates the relationship between us and the Holy Spirit. See, my father, he welcomed my daughter's participation. And I reckon by the look on his face... Granddad up there is enjoying it too. You see, the person that did the real work, that's doing the real work in that photo is the older gentleman. The one that was doing the, the work in the photo that I can't find was my grandfather, not my daughter, as I said. Yeah, my father, her grandfather. We'll get it right in a minute. See, that's us and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants our participation he desires, he takes pleasure in it like the grandfathers I've just spoken about do. Great pleasure. But he does all the heavy lifting. See, that's why God wants our participation. God could do all this without us. I mean, who are we kidding that we're really necessary? 
I mean, this is the God that spoke heaven and earth into being, for heaven's sake. Think about it for a moment, really. But God loves us so much that he wants our participation in what he's doing. And that serves a multitude of reasons or purposes. But this is the thing, God wants us, but he does all the heavy lifting. We need to take a hold of that. We need to realise that. We need to, to live in that. And we need to step out in that. Who's watched uh, the movie uh, Raiders of the... Uh, sorry, the Holy Grail one with Harrison Ford having a mental blank here. You know the one. Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. And remember there's that bit, he's, he's, his father's along on this adventure and his dad's been wounded. And in that end of that cave, there's an opening and there's a, ca- a chasm in front of them. And over the other side on the other cliff wall is the Holy Grail. And if he can get the Holy Grail, he can bring it back and his father will be healed. But when he, you look down from the, you know, he's standing on the edge... And he looks down and he can see the bottom. It's a long way be below him. And he, he, he um, you know, knew that if he fell, that he wouldn't survive that. But the instructions that he had in front of him said that he had to step out. When he stepped out, he was on a bridge. He saw the bridge. You see, that's like us when God calls us to do stuff. We might look out And we can't see how we're going to do it. But when we step out, when we trust God, when we take God at his word, the bridge is there in front of us. You know, the the Bible, even the Old Testament, really was about how God wanted his people to believe him. Now we read in Genesis the account of when God and some angels visited Abram and his wife. And it says after the account of, you know, God tells Abram that his infertile, ancient wife was going to bear him a son. It, the Bible tells us that he, because he believed, because he called the thing that it was not as though it was, that he was considered righteous. Now, Jesus hadn't even died on the cross. Jesus hadn't even come. But because he believed, he was considered righteous. And when you're righteous before God, you are in right standing. You are in full fellowship. And when we read through the Old Testament, we see many accounts of people who were saved because they took God at his word. They called things that were not as though they are. Now, we may not see a way that we can do that that thing that God has called us to do, but there is a way. God has made it. God doesn't call anybody to fail. God calls people to succeed. So you can be sure that between the gifts and talents that he has created you with and the Holy Spirit that you will have what you need to do what he has called you to do. So we need to take our heart in our hands We need to have courage. We need to trust God that when we open our mouth, he'll fill our mouth with the words that we need to say, with the life that we need to live, with the things that we need to do. And the last slide, if you don't mind, Carl. I've got a couple of books that I wanted to recommend to you, which I think will give you some insight. The one on the left is called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. And... um, the fellow that's written it, his name is Sam Chan. And uh, he's one of the official evangelists of the Sydney Diocese of the Anglican Church. And I stumbled across that book because on, on a website online that he was interviewed uh, about it. And I was so intrigued by the book that I went online to Kurong's website to see if it had any in stock out at Fishwick and I drove out there And I bought a copy and I read it in about two or three days. And I was so excited by it that I went and bought nine copies to give to other leaders in the church that we were in. And it just shares... Remember I was talking about baggage with how we share our faith? It just shares some stuff which just... Some tips and tricks, some ways that we can find it easier and more natural to share our faith. And the last book on the... the, The book on the right, I'm proud to say it's... 
endorsed by our senior pastor, Jack Haynes. So I was talking to him about it when I, he was <laughs> down here last. Not in it to win it. And um, it just gives us, in summary, some good ideas about how the, the frame of mind that we should have going forward. Our society is polarised. Um, I mean, American society in particular is very polarised and that book addresses that. But what it says about polarised and polarisation and how people get polarised is very, very relevant to our society because our society is polarised. There's the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, there's the conservative voters and the Labor voters. You know, there's all these little things and by engaging in those divisions, we deny ourselves a substantial portion of the population that we could uh, see meet Jesus. And you might note that when Jesus was here on earth, he wasn't political. When the Pharisees tried to trick him up, you know, with that, remember the story about the coin? To become political, he kind of didn't become political. If you've read that story, you'll understand that. We don't need to be political. We don't need to take sides. We don't, we're here to bring the good news. And God doesn't take sides. Okay? Anyhow, I, I, I would highly recommend both those books to you as being worth your time to read them and consider them and pray about the contents. I believe that the DNA of the church is to grow. Um, you know, I've, Betty and I have got three kids. They're all adults now. And for some reason, everybody thinks they're ours. Something about them, you know, they've got that Betty and Peter stamp on them, even though our three kids are quite different. Different hair colours, um, we went to H&R Block to have our tax done the other day and the lady says, do you have a daughter named Christy? <laughs> yes. Oh, she comes here and has her tax done and I was looking at her and I thought, I know that face. She could see Betty and I, you see. So, And, and the reason that our kids are like that is because they have DNA from us. You know, the, the, our kids can can do all sorts of things, but they can never change the fact that they're our kids. Their d DNA declares it. And, you know, that's the way that they were made. The church was... When Jesus brought the church, his church into being, the DNA was for expansion. We need to reacquire an urgency to see lost souls saved. There's a church that we were in. I remember the pastor had this saying, we need to plunder hell to populate heaven. Because, folks... If people don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. Stop and think about that for a moment. That's the last place you'd want to see anybody go. We need to reacquire the, uh, an urgency to see unsaved people born again and in church. Yes, in church, see. Uh, <laughs> you pray for me later, Dave. You know, we really need to do that. So will you join with me? Will you take courage... And declare that from today, you're going to do the best you can to be a part of seeing more souls in the kingdom. Amen. God bless you all.